happy Palm Sunday. We are uh, going to be dealing with the resurrection this morning. And I know that's a little bit strange because you should save the resurrection for Easter morning. Um, but we will revisit the resurrection next week, uh, but we'll get a little bit of a head start uh, this week. And we've been on this journey really looking at the gospel narrative uh, and, and from a number of different perspectives. We started in, in the first Sunday that we started this, uh, looking at the idea of the gospel universal. What is the big picture of the gospel um, and, and why do we need it? And then we started to take a look at the atonement uh, and penal substitution and how, how is it that in today's society, even though it seems like a weird thing to think about someone coming and physically dying for us, how is that still relevant? And where we landed with that was that independent of whether or not the culture sees the, the atonement as relevant, independent of that, if the scripture says we need it, then we need it. And what we have to look at is we can't interpret truth always through the lens of our culture because our culture changes. Cultures change over time. Yet what we see is the scripture is not changing. It is authoritative. And when it speaks about what we need, we look to it and we say we trust, we submit, and we believe. And part of what it says is that we need someone to come and die in our place. If not and we die for our sins. And so we took a look at that. But then last week, we took a look at the humanity of Christ. And we've built this picture that Jesus Christ was in very nature God, yet he was man. He was in every way as we are, yet without sin. And why is that important? Well, it's, it's important because he came as the second Adam. And if he's not truly the second Adam, meaning he is truly a representative of mankind, he can't save us in the same way that Adam and his sin threw us into this fallen nature. Jesus, as the second Adam, is the one who comes and redeems mankind as a man whose body was broken for us, whose blood was shed so that we would be forgiven. Why? Because God passes over sin? No, because God has seen it right and just to justify us through the work of Christ, but the work of Christ literally means that Jesus Christ bore the wrath that was owed to us. Sin was not simply just thrown away and we're not going to deal with that. Sin was dealt with in Christ on the cross. And so we looked at that last week, that Jesus Christ came as the true second Adam in order to redeem man and to make the children of Adam the children of God. So this week, we move on and we take a look at the resurrection of Jesus because, because the gospel doesn't stop at the crucifixion. It goes on. And so this week, we're going to take a look at the resurrection. And the resurrection is the most central truth of the Christian message. Um, you, you get rid of the resurrection and we are in big trouble. And so I have to ask a couple of questions as we get started today. Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that the same body that, that he was in in the incarnation when he came to dwell among us, when, when Mary gave birth to that baby we celebrate in Christmas time, when Jesus was born, Emmanuel, God with us, that same body, do you believe that body walked on this earth? Do you believe that body was a neighbor to somebody? Remember we talked about that last week. There was a time in which you could have said, hey, that's where Jesus lives. Maybe Jesus has got, you know, some bread we can borrow or something. Jesus had a home. Jesus dwelt among his creation. 
But then not only that, do you believe that Jesus in bodily form went to the cross and actually died? Do you believe that? If you believe all of those things, then you have to turn your attention to, well, what happened next? And what happened next in, in, in the redemption story is that he didn't stay dead, that he rose again. And we must talk about this because this is a very, very central theme of Christianity. And what we have to look at is that the resurrection is real history. It's a real historical event that took place in the past. And it has ramifications. It has important uh, uh, consequences for not only the present, but also the future. And so the major doctrine that I want to defend this morning is the fate of the future has been decided by the past. Namely, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we'll unpack that in in just a second. But the fate of the future has been decided by the past, namely the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, And and I want you to have in your minds this morning um, this, this truth that Jesus is alive and in him we have life. Jesus is alive and in him we have life. And I want to put it on the screen for you. The resurrection is real history that impacts the present. The resurrection is real history that impacts the present. If it didn't happen, if it isn't real history, then it doesn't have any meaning for us today. And it certainly doesn't have any meaning for us in the future. So we're going we're gonna to unpack this idea of the resurrection of Christ and its historical consequence here in reality. But we have this good news, this message of the gospel, which includes the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But first we have to ask, do we have good reason to believe in the resurrection? And I think we do. So we're going to turn our attention to answering this question about the resurrection. And we'll, we'll make three stops. We'll take a look at Christianity and history. The second stop we'll take is the resurrection questioned, because it is questioned today. And then third, we're going to look at the resurrection answer. So Christianity and history, the resurrection questioned, and then the resurrection answer. So if you will, turn to uh, the book of Acts and turn to the 10th chapter. We'll be in Acts chapter 10 this morning. And stand with me, if you will, and we will read the passage of Scripture that we're going to work from this morning. Now, to give you a little bit of context, this is after Peter had a vision, and uh, he went to Cornelius, a centurion, and all these Gentiles were ready to, to, to hear the word from Peter. And this was an interesting time, because Peter's like, you know, I'm really not supposed to be here, because Jews weren't supposed to go into Gentiles' homes, and there's all sorts of interesting things that were going on there. But God had already shown Peter, hey, something is happening, something is changing, And the gospel is not just for the Jews, it is for the Gentiles as well. So the context here is that this is where um, Cornelius and and others were gathered. And it says, now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So starting in verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. Verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing and healing, excuse me, went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, 
not to all the people but to us, who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. So this is an interesting look here. There's lots of other passages, and we're actually going to deal with the resurrection again next week, but this is just a little bit of a preview to this. There's lots of passages of Scripture that take a look at this historical event, the resurrection, and from this perspective that we'll be dealing with today is from Peter. Peter is saying, hey, look, something actually happened. Um, Jesus actually appeared. You, you know that, that this, this stuff was true. I mean, you can go, you can go and, and investigate it. He had been going around and teaching and healing people. He had been doing all of these good things. And then he was put to death. But then God raised him up. This says he put them to death by hanging on the tree, verse 40. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Who did he appear to? Not all the people, but us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. Then it goes on, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So I want to take a look at this idea of Christianity and history. There is, in our culture, this fact-value split. And I'll put it up on the screen. There's a fact-value split in that there's a lot of people who believe that, that religion and faith, they talk about values, and those are subjective, and those aren't either true or false. They're true for you if they're true for you, and they may be not true for me. That's okay. Those are really values, and they're subjective. But then over here we have, let's say, the hard sciences and mathematics. Those are facts, you can't argue with them. I don't know about you, but my kids come home from me uh, from school and want to talk about facts and opinions. They're learning about facts and opinions, and it's funny because sometimes me and Gabe will engage in some things, and I'll say, "Is that a fact or is that your opinion?" And sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll push back on him and you go, "Well, you can't argue with that." And I'm like, "That's right." There's certain things we just can't argue with because they're objective fact. They're real whether you believe them or not. What we're talking about here is. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about, did this happen? Maybe not. Probably not. Doesn't really matter as long as you believe it. It's true for you. That's a completely different way of looking at this. What we're actually saying is that this is historical. This is real. This is factual. It's not an opinion. It is fact. Now, maybe we're wrong. That's certainly possible. Maybe we are wrong, but what we're not putting on the table is maybe it's true for you, maybe it's not true for you. That's not what we're putting on the table. What we're putting on the table is that it is fact. We're making a historical claim that it is fact. It's not about values. It's not about your opinion. We are putting it on the table as real historical fact. Now we can do the work to say, is it true or is it not true? But we're not saying, here's the option, take it or leave it. We're saying, it is true. It is a fact of history. This actually happened, and because it actually happened, there are ramifications that follow from that. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But in our culture, we've got to recognize that there is a fact-value split. And actually, Paul wasn't lost on this either. In 1 Corinthians 15, very famous uh, passage of Scripture, he deals with the resurrection. Uh, in verse 14, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, and so is your faith. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead... Our preaching is worthless, and your faith is worthless. You're dead in your sins. You're still there. You're still stuck. 
So he wasn't saying, hey, if you believe it, that's good for you. If you don't believe it, nah, that's your opinion. He's saying, if it didn't actually happen, then our faith is useless. If it didn't actually happen, you are still in your sin. If it didn't actually happen, we should be pitied most of all. Do you get that? Premise one is we are talking about whether or not this actually happened. And if it didn't happen, there's consequences. We're wasting our time. If it didn't happen, we are wasting our time. But if it did happen, then there's consequences that way as well. And so we've got to deal with it. Do we have good reason to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Some believe that there's, there's, a, there's all religions and all religions are basically true and none of them are you know, really any better than the others. But what we're actually arguing for is that Christianity is true. And it is true because the resurrection actually happened. And therefore, if the resurrection actually happened, then the claims of Christ are vindicated. The prophecies have come true. Which means God is who he says he is. Jesus is who he says he is. And he has authority on our life. Okay? So that's what we're, what we're arguing from, from Scripture. But I, but I want to read this quote from uh, a book that I've, I found very interesting it's, it's a book titled, Do Historical Matters Matter to Faith? And this is a section by a historian, Mark Knoll. Um, and, and he says this, The Christian stake in history is immense. Every aspect of lived Christianity, worship, sacraments, daily godliness, private devotion, on and on, preaching, every major theme of Christian theology, the nature of God in relation to the world, the meaning of Christ, the character of salvation, the fate of the universe, all directly or indirectly involves questions about how the past relates to the present. Do you get that? Every bit of our Christian faith is rooted in historical truth. If it isn't historically true, then today your practice of it is a lie. It means nothing. But this is what we have to look at is that history matters. Historical matters matter to faith. Why? Because we're not simply saying, here's some subjective value arguments or value claims. We are making truth claims. We're making fact claims. And so what we have to look at is that the resurrection is not only incredibly important, but we are arguing that it is a real historical event, and we can see evidence for the belief in it. Um, you know, some would say, you know what, these people who wrote about the resurrection and, and, and Peter saying, yeah, he saw Jesus, but, but can we really take his word for it? Um, is there any evidence for this? And you get the idea. Some people say, you know what, the scriptures came about by the process of the game telephone. Have you ever heard that? They say, oh, well, one person whispered something into one person's ear and another. By the time it got down to the 50th person, the message was all messed up. Okay, well, first... There's, there's a world of difference between our culture and their culture. We don't have to memorize hardly anything anymore. You know what? Sometimes I look at my father who does not have a cell phone, who does not have a computer, and I think, you're way smarter than I am in some of these ways. Because he remembers addresses. He remembers how to get places without an iPhone. He remembers telephone numbers. I don't remember any of that stuff. I don't have to. But when you have to, you can. And in their culture, they would memorize things with incredible accuracy. 
that, that, that Jewish boys, by the time they were 12, would have already memorized the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Scripture. Can you imagine memorizing Leviticus? But they would, and they could, and they could recite it. These people had incredible memory. And their culture was an oral culture that they would tell stories and retell stories, but it would not lose its accuracy or precision over time because that's how they did this stuff. It was their day-to-day stuff. But let's just take the culture away for a second. Let's just talk about um, the memory efficiency and resilience in general. Even today, don't you have people who have good memories? Yes, some are better than others. Some have very poor memories. That's okay. Some stories you've got to get right away from certain people, otherwise it's gone. And others you can say, well, we can talk about it tomorrow and I know I'll still get the details. Have you ever experienced that? Sometimes that's okay. But let me talk about memory even today. Do you have certain memories in your mind that you're never going to forget? You do, don't you? And you rehearse those memories, don't you? Part of, it's interesting, when I was um, at Purdue doing work on uh, human learning, it's interesting when you start to look at how we process information, but also how we maintain information, and there's cognitive information processing, and you, you build ways in which you can retain and recall information, and it's called encoding, and I'm not going to get too deep into that. But we have memories that we've done a really good job encoding and are able to recall at a moment's notice. Those are probably pretty, pretty big events in your life. Some of those big events you have no trouble like, hmm, I wonder how that actually happened. No, you know how it happened. These people saw a guy come back from the dead. You remember things like that. It isn't like, what did they say when we were having that really unimportant conversation 10 years ago? Mm-hmm. But when someone you know dies and you watch them die, then a few days later they show up in the room with you and the door was locked and they poked through. How did that happen? You don't forget. That's pretty easy to encode, pretty easy to recall later. Later on you're talking with someone and you're like, I don't, yeah, it seems like Jesus may have shown up or I think I saw him after he was dead. Ask Johnny, he knows. But this idea is that even today we can relate to memory efficiency and resilience in big events, important events. Isn't there something called expert opinion? Aren't there some people who have devoted their life to studying certain subjects and you bring them in and you ask them about it and what do they do? They can recall tons of information right away. It's burned into you. We all have that. I have areas in my life uh, that, I can, that I can do that. I can talk forever on these, some of these things. You have them in your life. Those are expert opinions. Why? Because of years of hard work, years of study, years of rehearsing, that stuff comes back. So when we want to say, you know what, the account of the resurrection can be dismissed because memory is fallible, it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't pass the test. Not only is that culture a completely different culture than ours, but even today we see absolutely people can remember important events and can retell those important events with accuracy. And what we have in the New Testament is eyewitness accounts. The scripture, everything that we're looking at here 
that testifies to Jesus Christ um, in John and in Acts and all these other places where, where we see people talking about Jesus Christ coming back from the dead. They're talking about real historical data, real historical events that they saw, and they're retelling them. They know it. It's firsthand. Um, Richard Balkum uh, wrote a book that, that, that deals really well with this, and it and basically looks at the gospel as eyewitness testimony. That's exactly what we're talking about. People who saw this stuff firsthand. Peter saying, we hung out with Jesus. After he was dead, he was alive, and we hung out with him. Let me tell you about it. And it changed my life. So there's history. Christianity, premise one, is making historical fact claims based on eyewitness accounts. But let's move into the second side of this here. We start to look at the resurrection questioned. But as we do that, I want to ask you, can you think of a special day in the past um, that you celebrate every year? Can you think of a day that you celebrate every year? (laughs) The day you were born. And if everyone else forgets, you don't, right? You're like, it's my birthday. Can't believe I'm going to work on my birthday. Right? We remember these important days. Um, you know, what's really beautiful is, is that when we look at, look at birthdays and holidays, those are yearly celebrations. But do you know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, yes, we celebrate it on Easter, but you know when else we celebrate it? We celebrate it every single Sunday. The Christians moved the day of worship to Sunday. Why? To celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So every Lord's Day is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. If you ever wondered why we celebrate on Sunday, there's your answer. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ because he was raised from the dead on a Sunday. So not only do we celebrate this once a year during Easter season, every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But some people don't buy it. Some people question the resurrection. The resurrection question. So I want to put up on the screen, dead people stay dead. Have you ever heard that before? Dead people stay dead. And it's the basic idea that that the resurrection couldn't have happened because we don't see it happening today. And actually, Paul um, this wasn't new to even to, to us. This was something he saw. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 12, he says, How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Do you know that the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection? And that was actually one of the things that the Pharisees and the Sadducees would battle over. The Sadducees didn't believe really in the spiritual world or angels or the resurrection of the dead. But the Pharisees very much so believed that there was going to be a general resurrection of the dead. That was a thing back then. But Paul was saying, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? This is the argument is that people stay dead. When you die, you stay dead. But we'd already seen in the ministry of Jesus that there were some exceptions to this rule, weren't there? We can think of a few. One of the biggest ones is, is, is Lazarus, right? That this interesting event, she's like... Um, Lord, if you would have come sooner, you know, and you feel all this kind of weight, and Jesus cries, but then he says, come forth. And it's like, they don't want to open the door because he stinketh, right? You remember that whole part? But he comes out, and he's alive. Well, you know what happened to him? He was dead, and Jesus told him to get up and be alive. 
but then he was going to die again. But here is Jesus being raised from the dead, never to die again. But the premise is that people who die stay dead. And what we're doing when we're saying those types of things is we're actually looking for a, for a natural or physical explanation. We're saying, if I can't find a physical explanation for this, then this can't happen. Do you know what you're doing is you're painting yourself into a corner. Because if I can't explain it by natural causes, then it didn't happen. And that is something that's prevalent in our world today, in our culture, that operates under this scientific materialism, naturalism. It's a philosophy that all there is that is real is matter. And I don't want to get too deep in this, but this is, this is a dominant theme in our time, that the only thing that is real is the material world. Well, if you actually take that, uh, I, was, I was sitting in a restaurant one time in Southern California um, and eating next to this guy, and uh, we struck up a conversation, and he, he was saying, hey, I don't want to offend you, but I, I, I want to talk about religion. And I said, I would love to talk about religion with you. He had no idea who I was. And I said, man, what are, you, what are your thoughts? And he goes, well, uh, I just, I don't buy it. I don't believe, believe in any of this. I'm going to tell you straight, I don't believe in anything I can't see. I said, okay. I said, well, when have you ever seen an atom or an electron? And he goes, ha, ha, and he gave me a high five. And then I said, besides that, can you see your thoughts? You believe in nothing unless you see it. Can you see that belief? And he looked at me and he shook his head like he knew we were, we were in deep. And he goes, you and me, we're going to do some good together. You know, I'm like, are we? I'm, all right, let's, let's see. I don't know. But it's interesting because that is a common theme in our time that people say, I don't believe in anything that I can't see. I don't believe in anything unless I can produce a physical or natural explanation for it. But do you know the problem that we have on our plates right now in light of all of this great scientific advance and all these beautiful things that we are discovering in our natural universe is that we don't have an explanation for the origin of the universe all of the scientists today, since the time of Hubble and Einstein, have, have, have strongly, with evidence, proven that the universe began to exist at a point in time. Anything that begins to exist has to have a cause for its existence. So you have a physical thing that exists. What is the physical cause for this? You, you can't. You, you're outside of the box now. So when we look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can't say just because I can't find a, a, a physical explanation or just because people die and they stay dead normally, therefore I dismiss it. You know, we can't do that because what we're actually looking at is this idea that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by a supernatural cause. And I want to unpack that more in just a second. But people will say, you know what? I'm not ready to understand that yet or, or hear that yet because they see the weight of the resurrection. If the, if the resurrection actually happened, then once again, it vindicates the claims of Christ. If Christ is truly who he says he is and he said, I'll come back from the dead, and then he does, you kind of have to listen to him. If he says all the law and the prophets that testify to me and all of them are prophesying about this Messiah who's going to be pierced and crushed, but then would not taste of corruption, but be raised. And he says, that's me, guys, that's me. In three days, watch. 
you, you're going to tear this temple down, but in three days I'll rebuild it again. They said it took us 40-something years to do it. You're going to do it in three days by your bare hands? Let's see it. But what did he do? He did. He came back. And now they're like, oh, now, oh, my gosh. Now we have a mess on our hands. All those other crazy things that you were doing, healing people, giving the sight to the blind, making lots of food appear and feeding thousands of people, we could deal with that. But when you come back from the dead, you messed everything up. Everything. Okay, guys, let's get together. How are we going to deal with this one? Because this one's big. And that's what they had to do. But people aren't ready to accept it. So there's some theories that were produced. One was he never actually died. This is called the swoon theory. It's uh, produced by the 18th century rationalist. The basic idea is that Jesus Christ just was real, real beat up, real bad, fainted. And then when they placed him in the tomb, the cool, fresh air and the spices, like sniffing salts, right? He just woke him up and he's like, all right, let me move this boulder out of the way and get out there and appear to some people. Not going to happen. If you study what the crucifixion actually looked like, you don't get up after a few days rest and go do that. If he appeared to people, he'd be like needing a hospital. If he's just a man, if there's no other supernatural explanation, someone who's been beaten that badly, someone who's gone through that agony, someone who actually went through a crucifixion, who had a spear stabbed in his side, nailed, asphyxiated for hours, you don't get up after a few days rest and roll away a big rock and go walk for miles and hang out with everybody and act like nothing, nothing ever happened. You don't explain that through natural explanations. But also some will say, well, maybe someone stole the body. Yeah, you need to come up with that because the body was missing. And that was, a, that was the, the first, uh, the Jewish account, right? And with the Romans, they're like, all right, yeah, let's go with that. Someone stole the body. Others will say, well, the wrong tomb was visited. Well, that's all okay if you're only focusing on the tomb. But what, we're, what we actually believe is that Jesus Christ appeared to people. It's not just that you have an empty tomb. That would be interesting. Maybe you went to the wrong one. Maybe someone stole the body. That's okay if that's what we're dealing with. Maybe that explains it. But that doesn't explain Jesus popping through doors and showing up and saying, here I am. Put your hand in there. That doesn't explain him appearing to thousands, hundreds of people, 40 days, eating breakfast with them, telling them, teaching them, restoring Peter. Remember this guy who's telling this story right here? Do you remember? What is he talking about? He sat with Jesus and had some breakfast and a hard conversation after the resurrection. Peter was sitting face to face with the, with the Messiah who he says, I don't know. I don't know you. Surely you were there. Nope, wrong guy. And now he's saying, Peter, do you love me? Do you think Peter would forget an event like that? Do you think Peter's memory would fail him? No way. We're not just talking about an empty tomb. We are talking about someone who showed up and hung out for a long time and appeared to lots of people. Not just one. Peter isn't the only one. You can't easily dismiss this stuff. So we look at this. People are like, man, I'm not sure. Others say that it's a non-historical resurrection, that, that really 
just that we have faith in Christ um, and Jesus is raised in our hearts, they say. Well, that would have a Jesus still dead somewhere. Then it doesn't explain him actually, literally, physically showing up and hanging out with people. If Jesus is just resurrected in our hearts, you still have a problem explaining these eyewitness accounts. So I want to I finish our time with the resurrection answer. Jesus appeared in a resurrected body. The resurrection is a reversal of death. The actual human death that Christ experienced. Do you get that? The resurrection isn't reincarnation. The resurrection isn't some sort of a spiritual appearance. The resurrection is the reversal of death. That's why it's powerful. It's not powerful if you just have a mirage and there's Jesus and it's Jesus is in my heart. That's not powerful. What's powerful is the reversal of death. So we sometimes think, oh yeah, Jesus died, I'm okay with that. But his appearance probably wasn't a physical body. How? How can we see so many liberal theologians go there and start to say that that's what happened? Why are you trying to sanitize the faith of any supernatural? Why would we do that? And when we do, it doesn't help. The whole point is that Jesus Christ came in bodily form to have his body broken for us. His blood shed as the true lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and then have that body raised victorious over death. Why? Because we would look forward to him as the firstborn among many brothers. If Jesus is still dead, we're toast. Paul said that. Paul didn't say, as long as Jesus appears to you in your heart, he says, if people don't come back from the dead, and if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we are to be pitied. We are still in our sins. The gospel's a lie. But look, it says, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, to us who've been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And this is the point that God raised him. But for us, we trust in these eyewitness accounts, but we do have faith. And it's interesting, and I want to close with this thought. In John 20, verse 29, Jesus is talking after he appeared, and, and he says, you believe because you saw, but greater are those who believe without seeing. That's you and me. So we can't say that we see Jesus in the same way that they saw Jesus. If you do that, you're dismissing the power of the resurrection. He bodily appeared. He bodily appeared to some. He hasn't bodily appeared to you and me. So don't mix those. And if you start to say that, that that's all it is, you just killed the whole point. Because it was a bodily, physical resurrection where he ate and drank and talked and walked with his disciples and many others. He hasn't done that for you and me. Is he alive in our hearts? Yes. Has he made himself known? Yes, and we'll deal with that next week. But Jesus literally said to his disciples, you believe because you see. But he points forward to those who would believe who haven't seen. That's you and me. And one day we will see face to face Jesus Christ. One day we will. But this is the beauty is that God saw it fit that Jesus Christ would take on human flesh 
who would, who, who would bear our sins, be broken, crushed, killed, but then on the third day be resurrected so that we would have hope and life. So as we close this morning, I want you to think about Jesus Christ And in his resurrection, we find the cure for death. We have a death problem. Everyone's afraid of dying. Everyone's going to die. But in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is a cure for death. So if you stand with me, I want to I pray over us this morning. And I want us to think and pray for God to... Bring these truths to our hearts. I thank you, Father, for, for Jesus Christ, who is truly the King of Israel. And that there can be no reigning, everlasting King if he's still dead. So, Father, please help that truth sink into our hearts to recognize that we have life in Christ because he conquered death. And there we find the death of death and the death of Christ. Father, for the believers in this room, I pray that you help us to hold fast to this truth. That the resurrection is a true historical fact in the past that gives us hope in the present and in the future. Let us hold to that, Father. For those who are not believers in this room yet, I pray, God, that the Holy Spirit brings them from death to life, that they too may experience the true resurrection in the final days, because every single person will live forever. Everyone will be resurrected one day everyone will have a body resurrected and either live in eternity in peace and bliss in communion with you or in torment and hell and Father these aren't our words the words we find in scripture so may the reality of resurrection give us both pause and peace Father Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue to worship.